Um, so what we've been trying to do is talk a little bit about who we are as a church um, so that you have a better understanding of where we're coming from and um, hopefully this will be of value for your own soul and also as you talk to others, you know, what is Redeemer, people will ask. <laughs> Let's hope they ask someday um, as they hear about us so you have a more solid understanding of kind of what we're committed to. I want you to know where I'm coming from as a pastor over certain big issues. Last week we said we want to be a gospel-centered church, and that's our number one priority. That's the center core of our message, uh, and it's, um, uh, it's absolutely vital. Tonight we want to think about the role of Scripture in our church, and I want you to be able to ask questions of me if you have any as well. But if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verse 14 through chapter 4, uh, verse 5. I'm going to read that in just a second. Um, so, so what do we believe? What do I, what do I believe? What does Redeemer believe? Um, I, I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is true. I, I believe the story of Noah and the great fish. Uh, I believe um, in, uh, uh, yeah. Was there a great fish in Noah? Jo- well, Jonah and the great fish, right. Noah and the flood. Right. I believe in creation in six days. And my own view is that it was a normal six days like we think of six days, a, a week. I believe that because I think it was, it was miraculous rather than um, providential. I believe it was, it was just an explosion of God's creative, miraculous activity. Uh, rather than God working through, as he does in all of our lives, more a more providential way. But I also, I also believe that view because I think if you wanted to, to state it the other way, there, it, stating it the way Genesis 1 states it makes it difficult to understand why you would do that. Um, but basically what I'm saying is I believe the stories of the Old Testament. I, I believe the, um, the, the, the gospel in the New Testament, that there is such a thing as salvation to heaven and from hell through the grace of Jesus. Um, so, but I don't believe the Bible, uh, because of the books I read in seminary uh, that defended it, that scholars wrote, um, and I don't disbelieve the Bible because of the books I've read that other skeptical scholars have written that have tried to undermine the Bible. I think uh, scholarly literature can be helpful in various ways, and we need to be able to deal with people's arguments. But I believe the Bible because the words of the gospel came with power in my own life when I was 18 years old. And uh, I was, I was uh, increasingly in despair, increasingly in a cycle of uh, spin, sort of uh, sinking down into the flush bowl of, of uh, humanity uh, and in darkness and in shame and in rebellion and God and his kindness um, introduced me to a, a, a little booklet in Reader's, you don't know want the whole story, but in Reader's <laughs> Digest, uh, the Arthur DeMoss Foundation had published this little book called uh, The Power for Living, and it was a gospel presentation. And in reading that, two verses leaped off the page at me. One was from Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
And that that sounded like great news to me. And uh, Paul in Corinthians where he says, um, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then it went on to say, you can be new. You can start over. Uh, God's willing to forgive you and make you his child. And anyway, those two verses, along with the explanation that was helpful, those things, those um, lit up, as it were, and leapt off the page for me. Now, not everybody has a leap-off-the-page experience when they read the Bible, but, but we do believe that God speaks to us through the Bible, sometimes in more loudly, sometimes more quietly. Uh, and um, over time, we begin to sense its power, its authority. God's talking to us about us. It begins to make sense of our lives. It begins to show us who he is and who we really are. And it does all those things. And that's um, part of when I, or part of the reason anyway, I became a believer and why I have a high view of the Bible. It's had such a profound effect on me. So I want to talk to you about what we believe about the Bible tonight. Look, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 14. This is Paul uh, at the end of his ministry writing to Timothy a young minister, and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that um, you would bless us tonight. I pray that you would... um, Deepen our confidence in you and in your word. Um, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me talk about four or five things uh, we believe about the Bible at Redeemer. Number one, we believe, very simply, that the Bible is the word of God. Paul says here that all scripture, back in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, or maybe your translation says inspired by God. And the word inspired there doesn't mean that, that God sort of breathed into words something and gave them you know, a sort of genius or creative, but that God actually exhaled the ideas. And so the ESV says breathed out by God. God actually exhaled the scripture, uh, speaking it out. We, we believe that these words are not just the words of man. Uh, that, that we're not just reading the opinions of some really spiritually interested person who liked Jesus. 
Uh, we're not just reading the best thoughts that man has ever had about God, but we're actually reading God's own thoughts about himself and us. And he intends to communicate um, about himself to us. So we believe, and I believe all of the Bible is God's word. It doesn't mean it's all coming out of his mouth. Uh, sometimes it's coming out of the mouth of his opponents, and then he's interacting with them. But rightly understood, uh, in that kind of a dialogue, God is teaching us. He's speaking to us. He's revealing himself to us. Um, I, I cringe, personally, when I hear words like, what I like to think about God is yada, yada, yada. You know, um, you know I, I like to think about God, that God isn't like all the religions say he is. Oh, he's bigger than them all, you know. Uh, or people will say, you know, I like to think God uh, is loving and forgiving, and therefore, you know, everybody uh, is going to be forgiven. Um, it doesn't matter what you think about him. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter um, whether you're related to Jesus or not by faith. Uh, God's just forgiving. Anytime we start a sentence with, well, what I like to think about God is, it makes me a little nervous. What we want to be asking is, what does God think about God, and how does God reveal that to us? What does his word say about himself? And that's why, you know, at Redeemer, we, we read the Bible so much in the worship service. We preach the Bible and the text of the Bible. Um, we want to have ears to hear what he's saying. Paul here specifically says, be careful. Um, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or healthy, life-giving teaching They'll gather to themselves teachers, you know, who, who itch their ears with the sweet sounds of what they want to hear, but not what they need to hear. Um, what they already think is true, but not what God thinks is true. Um, and they'll wander off. They'll turn aside. They'll wander off in myths. We all need to always be um, careful about that. But so the first thing I want you to see is we believe the Bible is the word of God. Second thing is we believe the Bible is true. That it means uh, what it says and what it says really happened. Um, for years, uh, up until the 1980s, skeptics looked at John chapter 5, and sometimes you could turn there. In the opening verses of John chapter 5, it speaks of Solomon's colonnade. And it describes these pools and these pillars and uh, until the 1980s, we had no historical evidence of its existence. And, and skeptics would say, I mean, see, John, John wasn't really there. He, he never went to Jerusalem or he didn't know what was going on. The church, you know, 100 years after Jesus or 200 years after Jesus, the, the church tweaked and twisted the Bible and added stories and edited it in order for people to believe that Jesus was God, but he's really not. Um, you know, we can't trust John. There's no such place as Solomon's Colonnade. And then in the 1980s, a, a man asked for permission and got it to do a dig in the location. And uh, after digging down, he discovered Solomon's Colonnade and its pools and its pillars, just as John described it. Uh, that's just one little anecdote. But the whole direction of history has been moving in, confirming for us the truthfulness of the Bible. 
Now, I don't believe the Bible because every fact and anecdote story, you know, has been proved or demonstrated. We've got 10,000 years of human history, at least, you know, probably in the Bible or thereabouts, going all the way back to the pre-flood and who knows all that jazz. But, um, you know, nobody videotaped it all. There's no, you can put in the you know DVD and say, oh, yeah, well, this is how it all happened. Um, but, but no um, discovery has contradicted the Bible. We continue to find discoveries that confirm the truthfulness of the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. Now, all the skeptics who didn't believe in the Bible because of Solomon's colonnade, you know they all got converted, right? No, yeah, of course not, right? Um, man, man's heart and not always his mind is the reason we don't believe. I mean, you can, you can talk sometimes till you're blue in the face to somebody and give them all the evidence you can and they still won't believe because um, because of our dark heart but um, but I think it's helpful to recognize that and I just want to say we believe it's true we believe it's historically true and we believe it's true to life Uh, as you read the Bible the Bible I think gives the best explanation I know of of why we're so as, as people we're so capable on the one hand, of, of such beauty and glory and doing such amazing things. I mean, whether it's a Bach symphony or, you know, building the Eiffel Tower and bridges and flying to the moon, right? I mean, incredible. And yet, why are we also capable of such degradation and violence and, and horrific things to one another? And even, even as we love our families, we find ourselves... Um, being so selfish uh, and self-centered, and 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 we we and why is that? Why, on the one hand, such uh, beauty and such badness? And I think the Bible actually meets us there and says, "Well, this is why. I mean, you're made in the image of God, but then the, that image is fallen. It's twisted. You're not what you were designed to be, but you still bear the marks of what of the glory that God designed you for." And uh, anyway, I. I um, I think it's helpful to recognize the Bible is true to life as well. Um, then thirdly, what we believe about the Bible is not only God's word and it's true, but we believe the Bible is authoritative. And what does that mean? Um, it means I and you are to stand under it and not over it. Um, it the authoritative has the word author in it, right? Uh, we're not the author of it, and our job is to aim to understand what the author is trying to say. And we're not supposed to do what modern literary theorists say, which is, you know, basically, you can make any story about whatever you want it to be about. Who cares what the author's intended meaning was? You bring meaning to the text. That's a common view of literature these days. Ironically, of course, when they tell you that, they want you to pay attention to what they're saying and not bring your own meaning to their description of what you ought to do with their words. Uh, But we don't believe we should treat the Bible that way, that the Bible itself is authoritative. It has God as its author. Uh, If he says it, it's true. And we don't get to argue about it in that sense. I think we're all sort of, at times, in a running argument with the Lord a running dialogue of, well, Lord, you say this, and here's where I'm at, and, you know, I'm, there's tension. Um, but if the Lord does say it, then we are to embrace it. 
um, take in our own day uh, the issue of marriage and monogamy. You know, God's word is very clear that we are, if we're going to be married, are to marry, you know, one person of the opposite sex. And we're not to marry a bunch of people at once at any one time. And that we're to enter into marriage, you know, with a desire for a lifelong commitment. And it's to be a person of the opposite sex. Um, uh, and so um, we are to listen to the owner, you know, because uh, he's got the owner manual. And, you know, if, if I treat my car with the kind of disdain that says, well, you know, the people who built it really don't know what they were talking about. So they told me I should put unleaded gasoline in it. But that's expensive stuff. Water would be far cheaper. I think I'll put water in the tank of my car. Well, you know what would happen. I mean, we'd totally destroy it. It wasn't designed for it. I will ruin it, and I will not get anywhere. The author, the author has said, this is the way that you are to go. And if you worship money, it will destroy you. If you worship sex, it will destroy you. If you uh, worship anything other than him, that thing will ultimately be self-destructive. Um, and and um, so uh, we want to sit under the authority of God. And I want to say I want to say this. Um, um, the Bible is not equal in authority to the church and its history of teaching, but the Bible is ultimately authoritative over the church and its history of teaching, okay? And that's a very Protestant view of the Bible, that tradition, however helpful, uh, confessions of faith, if you know what those are, you know, um, human documents that explain, here's what we believe about God and man and sin and Christ, salvation, heaven, hell, and those things. And and as a Presbyterian, I, I think the Westminster Confession of Faith is a wonderful document. I think it's a really helpful insightful statement of belief that compares very favorably with what the Bible teaches. Okay, but whether you, you like that one or other ones or none, whether you're into the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or whatever, Confession, Catechism, Creed, Early Church Council, all of those things are subordinate to the Bible itself and not equal to the Bible. Um, and, and so... Um, uh, we, we recognize that uh, creeds and councils err sometimes. Sometimes they say really true things that, the, that are supported by the Bible. Sometimes they've erred. That's demonstrably true. Uh, only the scripture doesn't err. And um, so, so controversies uh, in Christian belief. Those are your kids. Uh, those are mine, I'm sure. Um, in Christian belief or Christian living, you know, whether it's the controversy about the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of heaven and hell or controversies about Christianity and marriage and sexuality or whatever it is, belief and life, those things should be resolved ultimately by an appeal to the Bible itself. Um, and this would be a good place, I was going to say for there, this would be a good place for me to say to you, I... I think what I believe, as I think we probably all do about our own beliefs, is good stuff. 
And um, I want you to believe what I believe about the Bible and its teachings about Christianity. But I don't want you to believe them because I teach them. I, I, I don't want my kids to grow up and believe in Christianity only because or solely because or, um, or ultimately because mom and dad taught it to them. Uh, there's a confirming witness that we bring to it. This is a good way. Stay in it. But we want you to believe what you believe because you're convinced by it from God's own word. Um, and that means I want you to listen with a Bible open, you know, when I preach or teach. I want you to ask questions, challenge, uh, you know, what you hear me saying and ask questions about it. Push back, say, well, here, what about this? What about that? That's a good and healthy thing to do. Paul commended the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 because they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they listened to Paul as he taught daily, and they daily went back to the Bible to see if what Paul was saying was true. And this is Paul the Apostle. And he didn't just bring out the Apostle Trump card in that situation and say, guys, I saw the risen Jesus. You just have to believe what I'm teaching you. He said, all right, let's talk about the Bible. You know, let's talk about the Old Testament. I'm showing you in the Old Testament. Gee, the, the Christ is going to come. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to rise from the dead. Believe it. Um, study the scripture. So I, I want you to hear that as well. In a, um, and, then, um, and then let me, let me see. Um, yeah, so the Bible is authoritative. And then the Bible is, uh, fourth thing we believe, the Bible is sufficient. Okay, it's uh, sufficient. What do we mean by that? We don't need anything else for faith and life. Um, for what we should believe about God and, and, and how we should live. Now, look, I, I need a, a computer manual to operate my computer, and the Bible isn't that, right? It's all kinds of disciplines in the world where, where you know, we need the outside. But on the issue of what you really need to believe about God to be saved and what God really requires of you in terms of living a Christian life, that has already been revealed sufficiently in the Bible. And we don't need to go to outside things to know what we're to believe about God and how we're to live. Um, uh, Paul puts it this way, verse 17 it's profitable. All scriptures, God breathed, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He sees the Bible as sufficient to equip you as a disciple for every good work God calls you to. If we needed something other than the Bible, he wouldn't say it's able to make us complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we do need to learn to apply the Bible, right? Um, what we want sometimes is for God to give us directions, and what God has chosen to give us is a driver's manual, so to speak. Um, you know, we want to know, well, should I take this job or that job? You know, what should I do vocationally, this thing or that thing? Who should I marry? All the questions of young people and, and university students. Um, should we sell the house and move there? You know, what, 
you know, should we put our parents in assisted living or bring them home to live in our house? Or how do we help them? What do we, all these kinds of questions. Uh, we want the, what we want, I think sometimes, is for God to sort of lift us up off the earth, give us the helicopter perspective on the future, you know, and tell us what the future is. And then tell us, and this is the way to get there, and this is what you need to do. We want him to give us directions point by point by point. And instead, what God has done is he's given us a driver's manual, and he said, this is how you should live. Um, you know, trust me. Love God and love others. Pray. Um, those kinds of things. Um, he's given us, a different way to put it is, he's given us a framework in which to live. Uh, the Ten Commandments. This is what love for God looks like. This is what love for neighbor looks like, right? He's given us framework instead of uh, an itinerary and said, well, you know, tomorrow morning you need to get up and here are the six things you need to do. You know, wear the red socks. You know, wear the white collared shirt. You know, be at work at 8 or 8.30 or whatever. You know, Maybe your boss is telling you what time to be at work. I get that, but... Um, Here's what you should have for dinner, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, love your neighbor. <laughs> love your family. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. I, I realize, I, I, you know, only the gospel can help us do that, but God's given us that kind of framework. And then, so it's sufficient for how we're to live and what we believe. And then the last thing is this. It's, it's also clear. I believe the Bible uh, can be read and understood well enough to make out the gospel and be saved by faith as God gives us eyes to see it. That message in the Bible, the message of salvation by Christ alone, by a gift of God's grace alone through faith alone, is not obscure in the Bible. Um, now, it's not as easy to see in some places as others. Peter even remarks about Paul in Peter's last letter. I think it's Second Peter. At the end of it, he says, some things in Paul are hard to understand. Okay, I love that. Even Peter, who lived with Jesus for three years, thinks Paul is difficult, right? I think Paul is difficult at certain places. But, but taken from beginning to end, the basic message of salvation through the Messiah and his work for us, that is clear. Um, so not everything is equally clear, and some things are hard. But the basic message is there. That, that's why uh, Paul tells even Timothy, as for you, verse 14, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He learned it from his mother and his grandmother. He had a godly uh, mom and grandmother. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That would have been the Old Testament, Paul's saying. He would have been raised on the old. New hadn't even come into view yet. Not at least, Certainly as complete as... And they are, or which are, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. That's what the Bible's designed to do. It's to lead you to, to Jesus and to believe in him and to have everlasting happiness in him uh, in the life which is to come. So, um, so we believe the Bible is clear. At the same time, we all do need help in understanding the Bible. Paul, in that same passage in which he says it's able to make you wise for salvation and tells him to keep believing and reading, he turns right around and tells Timothy, 
On the one hand, the Bible is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And at, in chapter 4, just, just verses later, he says, Now you, Timothy, you know, teach with great patience and reprove and rebuke. He says the Bible does these things and it's profitable for that. Now, Timothy, now you go do that with others. And the reason he does that is because Timothy is a minister of the gospel, called, like Paul, to shepherd God's church. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, God has given to his church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I need a pastor. I need to be taught. I need to be shepherded. Likewise, every Christian does. And God has given teachers to his church to help us understand. So there's value um, in uh, study and value in paying attention to those whom God has called into that ministry. Um, so, um, uh, what, uh, what, what conclusions could we, should we draw uh, from all this? Just a, just a couple uh, very briefly um, um, to reiterate one, again, I want you to believe uh, what you believe because you see it in the Bible. It will, it will be authoritative in your experience when you are convinced God has actually told you this through his word um, and not just because some theologian, however good, or some pastor uh, however accomplished, or even your parent, you know, you'll be, pers- you'll be, um, in the hours of darkness, in the hours of, uh, of suffering, in the hours when you're alone and you don't have anyone else to lean on, it will be God's word that will, that will sustain you, um, as you, uh, have learned it previously and been convinced that this is God's words to you. Um, so, and then one of the other implications of this at, at Redeemer is our worship service is full of the Bible. Now we could have more, we could always have more. We could also have a much longer worship service. Ours is already a pretty long worship service. Um, but we do want to very intentionally not just open the Bible only when the pastor's going to get up to preach. Um, we want to, we, you know, the call to worship is scriptural. We believe God calls us to worship and his voice rings out from the Bible. God's assurances of pardon are scriptural. Um, we want to read portions of the Bible just to, just to be in it, to hear God speaking most directly to us through it. Um, and over time, and I'll say this is, you know, to parents, um, you know, over time, um, we, Part of what we want to do is, is educate our, or grow our children up in the kind of context where over their, however many decades they get with us before they leave home, they're hearing a good chunk of the Bible. God has to give them ears to hear it, you know, uh, but we want to be in a place where they're hearing a lot of it and likewise for our own soul. And then also um, in terms of the way this shapes our ministry is we want to give the maximum amount of truth to the maximum number of people. Not the minimum amount of truth to the maximum number of people. There are ministries, I've been part of one in the past, who's, who had really uh, boiled everything down to just a few statements 
And the goal was get those few statements out to as many people as possible. Very well-intentioned, you know, gospel-loving friends who had that view of ministry and encouraged me in it at one time in my life. Um, And yet Jesus said in Matthew 28, you know, go make disciples, um, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Uh, we want to get the maximum amount of biblical truth to the maximum number of people in order to do the maximum uh, maximal amount of good. Um, truth sets us free. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And um, we're all bound up in different ways. And we need the full whole gospel and the whole counsel of God to shepherd our souls. And so um, that's one of the ways um, our view of the Bible shapes our ministry. So that all being said, what questions do you have for me?